This episode contains adult language, mental, and verbal abuse. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to It Doesn't End Here. Well, my name is Amanda. I am just shy past 40 years old. I've lived a pretty basic life, or I thought it was, growing up in Edmonds my whole life, going to college in Stillwater, living in Enid for a while. Um, I was just Oklahoma born and bred until I discovered bigger parts of the world and discovered myself along the way. And I'm actually a mental health therapist, which adds a huge twist to everything, doesn't it? (laughs) Absolutely. And that is why I'm so excited to have you on the podcast to be sharing your story, because I'm sure that this is something that you do with your patients all the time. What type of therapy do you specialize in? Well, throughout the years, I've always had a particular niche for PTSD and trauma-based therapy. Most of my work began working with combat veterans and dealing with combat trauma from the Vietnam War all the way up to the current climate. As I grew in my career, I came to really have a fondness for the LGBT community. And so I started working with that community at the VA and particularly transgender individuals And that just kind of led me along the way to my private practice. And I work primarily with the gay community and women, the two things I love. (laughs) Those are the two things I love too. I think we can all just say, amen. We love the women and the gays. That's right. How long ago was this relationship? It would have been 22 years ago. Mm -hmm. I know it's been a really long time, but I wanted to share your story on the podcast because it really paints a journey of the healing process. And while this was 22 years ago, here you are talking about it, still healing. Still. And discovering in different ways how I haven't healed. Just certain layers that come out in your life and you realize, oh, this is still a thing. So how did you meet Chris? Oh my gosh. So... I know this is going to surprise the audience uh, tremendously when I say I was quite the party girl. I love the party. I love the people, the music, uh, the mystery of meeting a new guy. But I was at this one party with some of my gays, my gay buddies. And I see across the room at this house party, this guy, and he is so cute, huge, charismatic smile. 
we're talking like Tom Cruise smile, blue eyes, blonde hair, just gorgeous, 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 gorgeous man. And he's staring at me and he's just smiling and he keeps staring at me and he's just smiling. And and after a while, I actually kind of got annoyed and we parted ways. We didn't even really talk. I walked away thinking he was kind of creepy and he walked away thinking I was a huge snobby bitch, which isn't totally off the table. I can admit that now. But we parted ways and I was actually dating someone else and he went on his way and I don't even remember how, but it was spring like six months later and I'm single, floating around, but single. And my hairdresser at the time, who I adored, said, well, what about Chris? And I was like, what do you mean a Chris? And she said, well, that guy from the party, he asked about you. She did Chris's hair as well. So it was a hairdresser matchmaking sesh, I guess. And I don't even remember why I was interested or cared or I was just so flighty. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been flighty in your life where you're just floating from? I'm currently very flighty in my life. <laughs> I'm going through divorce. I just moved back to America. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So you, you're flittering. Yes. Well, I was major flitter. Uh And I don't even know why I took her up on the offer. I guess he had made an impression. I just didn't know what way it was going to go. Back then, you didn't go on dates. You just didn't. So you would meet up like at someone's place or, you know. Like at a party. We didn't even get a party. And so that's what happened. So like what was the instant attraction the second time around when you finally talked to each other? How did it go? Very flirty. He was very funny and he was very sarcastic and he would play off of my jokes and we could like joke and banter Mm -hmm. and quote movies back and forth. And it was very banterish, but he just seemed so grounded and he seemed so interested in all the things in the bigger scheme of life that I was interested in, like music and art and mythology and philosophy. And we could stay up for hours and hours just talking. And I think that first night we hung out, we literally probably talked until like three in the morning. The relationship seemed to be very pure. It wasn't based on a frat party. It wasn't based on image or what looked cool. It seemed to be pure and innocent. And that you guys connected obviously very intellectually. Yes. And that's something I crave. And I discovered that it wasn't just with Chris. If I didn't have it in a relationship, I noticed it. And when I did have it again, I noticed it. So that was definitely something that carried with me as I moved forward in my relationships because I discovered it was important to me. Yeah. It's very important to have someone that's on your same you know, level, I should say, in all, in all areas of your life. Definitely. How are you connecting with him emotionally and sexually yet? Oh yeah, it was all there. I mean, I was we actually waited, I think I we had been dating over a month or so before that even happened. I never felt pressured. I never felt like he expected anything. Um he was very patient. He waited it out, which made me feel safe. Mm-hmm. Right? Safety, security, that's really all we want in those types of situations. Mm-hmm. I think there's some falsehoods that women fall into. Like if they check these certain boxes, like everything that comes with the package elsewhere must be okay. And I think 
that Chris hit a couple of those, you know, one, he was college educated Two, he was a little older than me. So he seemed more mature three, very emotionally safe, not pressuring me to do anything. I, I just think he, he started clicking all these boxes and if they click so many, we forget everything else. Fair. Totally fair. It's like <laughs> on paper, he's amazing. For two months, he's been amazing. When I was experiencing it, I think the facade lasted for six months before I'll just call them major things. I thought six months was a long time, but since then, just professionally and personally with other people in my life, I have learned that they can have the facade for a very long time. So during the first six months, as you said, you know, nothing really came up, but whether was there any small red flags or anything major that happened? It's so strange. So when we first started dating, he seemed like the least jealous person on the planet, seemed to be very trusting, very um, supportive and encouraging of me doing other things and traveling and experimenting with, you know, different hobbies. And so the first six months, that's all I experienced. There were a couple of times I had to go out um, out of town because I was on the Palm Squad and we traveled to basketball tournaments, uh, especially during March. And I remember he was fine with it. We chatted on the phone every day. We texted and he was fine. And we started dating my junior year. So I still had my entire senior year being on the Palm Squad, finishing up my degree. And he seemed very okay with all of it. I could not see any obvious red flags for that six months. Okay with me having lots of friends, with me being on the Palm Squad and traveling. I went to China for a few weeks and he was supportive. He uh, had written me a letter for me to open on my flight to China. And it was like this really sweet, sentimental letter. And I still have it, actually. There it is. Handwritten. I still have this. This was 2002. Wow. So what were your initial feelings about it when you first got it when you were on the were, were you on the flight when you read it? Oh yes, it was very dramatic. Oh, did you cry? <laughs> was it like a movie? I totally cried. Yeah. One of his many romantic gestures in the beginning. So it says Amanda. Okay, so before I start, so some of this you're going to maybe secretly smile like a Cheshire cat and be like, "Oh, he's showing his colors already." But it was so disguised. Amanda, if you're being a good girl, hopefully you're reading this somewhere along your destination to China. And if not, well, you just ruined your surprise. I hope that this trip will be a journey for you filled with so many experiences you have never known. With a smiley face. I look forward to and cannot wait to hear, taste, touch, and see the journey you are on just by listening to your stories. Of course, I miss you, but not too many people get to embrace and embark upon a journey quite like this. So please have the time of your life. Don't worry about home because we will still be here when you get back. A couple years ago, I wrote a poem and in it, there is a little phrase that makes me think of you right now. And I'm not going to read it because it's just ridiculous. That's just... Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) I'm so bad. I love poetry. Poetry is my fave. (laughs) I love poetry. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Go on, baby. There is bound to be a little more. Life is too brilliant not to explore. 
write me a letter with scribbles on the paper to show me you've looked around and smelled the labor. It is amazing when I look around at my world because you are everywhere now. I never dreamed a dream such as you would actually come true. You are in all things that I see through me and you are a part of all things that are within me. I love you so much. This letter I did not write to make you sad. I wrote it to let you know how much it means to me to be a part of you and how happy I am for you that you get the opportunity to enjoy a journey such as this. I hope you don't get too homesick because I want you to have an experience of a lifetime. And if you get a chance, take a moment of each day just for yourself so that you will always love that or have that, always have that. You won't be reading... No, you won't be needing us for a while, means him, the dog. So take something with you that makes you smile. I love you, baby. Have fun and hurry home, but have a hell of a good time. So yeah, all of that is all bullshit. And now that I read it, knowing his sarcastic smile, knowing his tone of voice, I can feel like a lot of undertones to that that I would not have picked up on. And I swear that's how they get some of us too, because he had he had journals and journals and journals of entries, song lyrics, poems, all the things. So I mean, way to get to a chick's heart, right? I swear to you guys, men that are in music, they are creative, they're soulful, they want to write poetry, write you a story, write you a handwritten note, like that is my kryptonite. Same. Yeah, he he was all about the art, the music, the creative writing, story lyrics, poems. Um, yeah, he he definitely had that capturing like quality about him. But you know, when you're when you're 20 years old and you're on a plane to China, you know, literally turning 21 on the flight there, and you have this boyfriend that is handsome and funny and smart and attentive and loving and all the things. You're on a high. My life could not have been, in my mind, any more perfect than that moment. I was turning 21. I was going to be a senior in college. I was on the OSU Palm Squad. I had this handsome guy after me. I was like on my way to explore this part of the world. I mean, I was on this total high. And I, again, if I could close my eyes and like blink and be right back in that moment just to experience it one more time, I probably would. And which is really crazy to hear you say that considering we're about to hear how much damage this man did in your life Mm -hmm. all that year, those years ago. And here you are still saying like, if you could transport yourself back in time just for like a moment to feel those feelings again, you would. Yeah, (laughs) I saw this. So I'm a huge fan of Pink. Huge. Just like embarrassingly huge fan. Oh, I love Pink, the artist. I mean, she's extremely like empowering for women and children all over the world. Yes. Thank you for agreeing with me. I love her and I follow her on Instagram. So she posted on her story, I'm fucking feeling myself. Thank you very much. And she like is standing all proud in her harness, you know, that's how I felt at that time in my life. I was fucking feeling myself. Thank you. I thought at the time I did though, you know what I mean? Like at that moment, I was just a happy girl. I was at the top and I probably have never felt that high, that type of high, you know, again. And like I said, I would, 
if I could just blink and go back to that without anything else, I would. But he was so good at putting on the show until he either didn't want to anymore or he thought someone was too much of a threat that that's that's the Chris that people most people thought. So that was going to be one of my questions for you. Did your family and friends also like him in that first six months and everyone was like charmed by him? Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So I remember when I was in China, he had he had stayed with us before my flight to China the next morning. And I guess he had forgotten his sh- like a pair of shoes or something. So while I was in China, he drove all the way back to my parents' house to get them. And like they went to dinner and hung out and they like loved him. Same with my friends. He could put on the biggest show. He was charismatic and funny and flirty and always getting the girls their next drink. And he schmoozed the hell out of them. That is the way to win over your girlfriends. I'm not going to lie. Oh, he was right in the mix. Love bombing everyone. Not just me. Honestly, I mean, like I said, my girlfriends were like fawning over him and my parents like were in love. No, he was just always very, I mean, even the letter he wrote that I open on the flight has a poem. Mm-hmm. He was leaving me poems, writing song lyrics, like flowers, all the things. Like, I mean, literally pretty much everything except we were still like young and didn't have any money, you know, but it, I can imagine if Chris had been from a millionaire family, he would have like thrown all of that stuff at me. Yeah, he just we were both poor. So yeah. No, <laughs> really- college. Well, he wasn't in college. How, how old was he? He was three years older than me. So he had just graduated mm-hmm. like a couple years before. Yes. And he had gotten a job in Stillwater and um he had just decided to stay. So he was living in an apartment with his dog and his cat. And a huge fish tank and all these cool things, which again, check. Yep. He's a good guy. He loves animals. Check. It's so ridiculous, like the things we think. Yep. No, I seriously, like that. these are all things that are like must-haves though for most people. Has to have right. good friends, has to have a good family, loves animals, wants kids, maybe is religious if that's something you want. You know, there's a, there are things in our mind that we are absolutely not willing to accept somebody to be with somebody if they don't have them. Right. Yeah. And he was, he was really good at that. He was really good at schmoozing people and it seemingly came from a very innocent way. It didn't seem to come from a narcissistic way. It came from this place of, it seemed like genuine curiosity about people. What was the first event argument? Major thing. The MT. The first major <laughs> thing. The first MT. The first MT. It had to have been early fall of my senior year. And it was a night out in Stillwater where it was really, really busy. And I think it was probably probably because of football or something like that. But I just remember it had to have been fall. We we're at the bar Murphy's. I don't know if anyone else out there is from OSU, but Murphy's I love, bar I love Murphy's. where they have the Jello shots. I, know, I love it. And the syringes, everyone. They're in. They're in the <laughs> syringe Jello shots, to be specific. Okay. And I just remember being there with him and his friends, and all I remember is being around the my friend who I went to China with, 
And I talked to them for a while and then went back over to Chris's table and he had just the coldest, most rageful look on his face. You know those eyes when they change? It's almost like shark's eyes. I have never seen that look on him before. And I immediately went into just like fawn mode. What's wrong? What can I do? Are you okay? He was angry with me because I had talked to my girlfriends for too long and I wasn't staying with him. I wasn't entertaining him or talking to him or fawning over him. And so I was in trouble. And I just remember him yelling at me, you kind of black out. It's almost like you create this like bubble around yourself to protect your psyche from the gravity of what's going on. And I just remember him calling me a bitch and finally me crying enough for me to run in the restroom. If anyone's ever been into the restroom at J.R. Murphy's, <laughs> it's not the place to have a meltdown. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Oh, babe, I'm sorry. I know. Like, I'm looking, I'm like 41 and I'm looking at my, you know, 21 year old self and I'm like, I'm sorry. I just want to pick up that girl, you know, me, and just be like, it's okay, but run now. Like, get away. I came out of the bathroom and he was gone. He had just left me at the bar without a ride. I'm doubting my reality at this point because this is. This is Chris. This is everyone loves him. It made no sense. It was so disorienting. I hate to say it, but I really took the responsibility. I talked to my friends for too long. I left him alone for too long. So after this, like kind of how did his demeanor change towards you? It would alter so fast between gentle and soft and kind to just snapping. I mean, the true definition of like no difference between like zero to a hundred, like flat, so fast. There was no in between. So that kept you on eggshells constantly. Mm Mm-hmm. Tippy toes all the time. And it was so confusing because I loved being social and I love saying hi to people and I loved getting to know people. So Chris's rules were just really hard for me. And I tried so hard. Did he have like outlined rules for you that you had to follow? Oh, no. It was just, I just had to know what I could do and what I couldn't do. And it would change. So what were the things you definitely could not do? I definitely could not leave his side for very long. I definitely couldn't talk too much. Shouldn't laugh or seem like I'm flirting with anybody. Yeah. I mean, these are all very, well, I mean, you would know better than me. (laughs) Are these narcissistic traits that we're kind of outlining here? I definitely think there was an element of narcissism, but I also think that he had deeper mental health issues as well. I think that he dealt with a lot of depression and anxiety. He also had mood swings, personality stuff. Yes, I was in graduate school for this, but in no way I had no experience. I hadn't treated anyone yet. I had never even like tested anyone for a diagnosis before. And so textbook, I know what to look for, 
but real life playing out in front of me, I was not prepared for. Well, you were learning it and going through it at the exact same time, which is interesting. At the exact same time. Were you learning it and kind of like, that sounds like my life? Not at all. I I strangely thought that initially when he got angry, it was for a reason. Even if I felt the need to defend myself, which I did, I'm not, I am in no way saying that I didn't argue back or defend myself or assert myself, but even when I would argue back, eventually that cycle in your brain will start to click, click in and you'll go back to, oh, well, maybe he had a point because they stick so strong in their, like in their stance. So eventually it makes you doubt your experience because they are so strong and will not budge. And who came from an environment where we had to deal with people not budging and us succumbing to that? And I know that resonates with me, so it has to resonate with other people in this situation. What was your childhood like? I mean, I definitely think that I was somewhat in this kind of bubble, uh, being an only child where things that would happen like in my house, I just thought was normal because no one was telling me otherwise. So, you know, any arguments or, you know, tempers flaring, anger outbursts, everything would just go back to normal and no one would talk about it. There was just no processing anyone's anger. Which probably leads to people-pleasing, right? Because then you're trying to constantly keep everybody happy in the household, right? Well, I was voted in seventh grade most likely to be a flight attendant. (laughs) If that tells you anything about how people-pleasing I came across, at the time, I was more annoyed I just thought it was so bizarre. Like, what does that mean? (laughs) But I didn't really think much about it until I think recently when I kind of realized what that meant. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, that's where it came from. How was your senior year of college going? Were you, did you guys continue to date throughout the entire year? Yeah, we kept dating through my senior year. Throughout that time period, you know, these things just kept happening flip of the switch, the zero to a hundred, the yelling, the screaming, the cussing, the accusing, the name calling, the explosion, and then recovery. And it probably started at a slower pace, maybe like once every few weeks or so. And then it would pick up to be like once every two and then once a week. And then it was just, it, it could be almost every day. So it was a month after I graduated college and I knew he was going to propose. And I knew because he had asked for a diamond that my family was holding for me that had been given to me by a relative, like left for me. And I think my own parents like were very open to him using this diamond. And I think once we started talking about getting engaged, they were like, oh, by the way, you have a diamond. So this was a very like forthcoming, like, here, take the diamond, use it. So I knew it was going to be soon. I just didn't know when, but, you know, again, we're, I'm, in, I'm in graduate school. He's working in Stillwater. We don't have a lot of money. So when he made reservations at one of my favorite restaurants in Oklahoma City, I knew he was probably going to propose. 
And I remember the proposal being very anticlimactic. He did not get down on one knee. It was literally just in the middle of courses at dinner. And he just like said a little thing and slid the ring across the table and opened up the box and said, will you marry me? But it wasn't like this thing. I just remember it being like, wah, 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 like, oh, okay. There are a lot of red flags a lot of red flags, but that really should have been one of them. He explained to me that he didn't want to get down on one knee and say a big thing because that's cheesy. I should have equated that with all the flowers he sent me in the beginning and the love notes and the poems and the music lyrics because isn't that fucking cheesy? I should have thought that was strange that he thought it was too cheesy to get down on one knee and do it traditionally but he did all that shit in the beginning. So do you think he truly wanted the engagement? I think he did. I think I think he truly did believe that he loved me. I said yes, drove back to Stillwater. There were friends uh, waiting for us. And the next day I moved into my house that I was going to live in in grad school. And he was going to move in with me and get married and everything be okay. And it was not okay. From the moment we got engaged, it was, I wanted this for my wedding and he didn't want that or my parents didn't want that. or I mean, it was just like a freaking nightmare, I felt like. We went to Santa Fe, New Mexico and just had a small wedding with our friends and our parents. I mean, I think maybe we had 20 people total. So the night before our wedding, something just snapped. We had had the rehearsal dinner, and we'd all gone out to this bar. It's no longer there. It was called the Cat's Meow. And I'm flitting around, you know, talking to everybody. So just excited. All my friends are here. I mean, that's the one thing about weddings I can say. It's like that one time in your life that everyone is there together. His family, your family, his friends, your friends, none of these people are going to all be together again. So in that aspect, you know, that part of our wedding was really cool because it was so small and so intimate. And we really just got to jive together with our friends. How did you and him get along at the reception? Was there any drama? I said something about the wedding and he snapped his head around at me and said, don't you mean your mom's fucking wedding. And I knew where this was going. He was saying that because he believed my mom had like taken over. Like she's very vocal and she's very opinionated. So he's not necessarily completely in the wrong. Like I know how annoying that can be, but it was just his way of throwing it in my face. So a couple little snips back and forth. I just remember feeling very vulnerable and very exposed, and I wanted to leave. So myself and a couple of my bridesmaids, we decided to go back to the hotel. And my friend and I were sitting on the um, outside stoop. And all I remember is that he came up the stairs and came charging towards me and opened up his hotel room and said, get in here now. So I picked myself up and I went in there and all, all I can say is that it was just yelling and yelling. 
just, I didn't want this wedding. I didn't want to marry you. I hate your family. I hate your mom. How it ended was I remember my maid of honor begging me to leave, begging me. We have to go. I will drive you to my parents' house in Texas, but we have to leave. So she wanted you to leave that night. Oh, yeah. She was like, we can get you out of this. We'll just leave. We'll call your parents on the road. We got to go. So what was your thinking, if you can remember back, like in that moment? I mean, it's a lot going on the night before you're getting married. Right. He's screaming at you. You got your best friend and you're your maid of honor wanting you to leave. I just remember thinking, I can't back out. I have to do this. We're in Santa Fe, New Mexico. All of us are here. We're getting married tomorrow. I have to do this. Now that you can look back on the situation, what is the advice that you would give to somebody who is wanting to get out of their engagement and get out of having their wedding, even if it is the night before? I would say that nothing is more valuable than your well-being. Doesn't matter how much you've spent on flowers or booking the chapel or church or reception, none of that matters as much as your happiness and well being. None of it. And I wish I had thought that I was worthy or deserving of being able to walk away from something that far in and it be okay. It took me a long time to realize that people that are going to be mad at you for making a choice on yourself are not your kind of people. It took me a really long time. And I wish I could have been more honest then with people in my life. But I think up to that point, I was still somewhat delusional on how bad it was. So the next day was the wedding. How did you feel when you woke up? Oh my gosh, when I woke up, I felt so awful. Like all the crying and the alcohol. I was so puffy. I felt like crap. My sinuses were all congested, probably from all the crying and the altitude and the dehydration. It was so cute. The like concierge lady from our hotel like wheeled in a big humidifier for me and brought me tea. And oh my gosh, I don't remember how long I was in bed nursing myself before I had to get up and go to my bridal luncheon. <laughs> oh my God. You did, girl, you did everything in one weekend. Shit. Like, ladies, space it out. Space it out. You don't want all this in one weekend. Well, and did I mention the day before the wedding was my birthday? So there was. Oh my God. Everything. Yeah. Everything was this weekend. So he did that on my birthday as well. He ruined your wedding and your birthday weekend. And my birthday. (laughs) Yes. What a a gem. What a dude. Yeah. What a guy. Wedding was gorgeous. Loretto Chapel in Santa Fe with the spiral staircase, beautiful music, beautiful food. We had the reception at the La Fonda. After the ceremony itself, I got really nauseous, like just sick to my stomach. I thought I was going to throw up. Luckily, one of our guests was a pharmacist and he had some um, anti-nausea medicine to help me and it worked. Was that like emotional stress coming up Then you were feeling sick? Mm -hmm. It had to have been. How were, just out of curiosity, like how was saying the vows to each other and looking at him and saying those vows when the night before, 
like not even 24 hours before he had told you he did not want to marry you. Did he ever say sorry or did you ever patched up or anything before the wedding? No. I mean, patched up, yes. He called over to my hotel room and I picked up the phone. And the first thing he said was, so do you think you had a little too much to drink last night? So that started the whole disorientation of, oh, maybe I did. But no, no apology. Just He acted like the whole wedding itself was just kind of just cheesy. Like he was kind of like poking fun at it. It was weird. I mean, even down to his dance with his mom, like he made it kind of a joke. Like a funny dance. Yeah. I mean, he was just dancing weird. You know, it wasn't, it was just straight. And I knew that he was doing it because he felt uncomfortable with this whole like wedding thing. So he's drawing attention to himself. It was just, it was so bizarre. He was almost annoyed. Yeah. And he had been so romantic in the first six months, but then he wouldn't Mm -hmm. even propose to you. In a traditional way. Right. So tell me about the honeymoon. How did it start? And where did you go? I remember that did not start off to be like feeling like it was on the right foot. The night of the wedding, I remember him being so pissed at me because we did not have sex. He was so mad at me. I think at the end of the night, my stomach ache kind of came back. I was tired. I was emotionally just completely hungover. It was not a good time. I was just not in a great place. And I remember him being mad at me because we didn't have sex the first night of our, you know, wedding. Because it's so traditional to do that. (laughs) I didn't have sex on my wedding night either. (laughs) See? I was so tired. I was so tired. I know. I just think that they should just get rid of that idea. But we went to Hawaii for our honeymoon. I mean, initially it was beautiful. I mean, just the hotel and the beach and the food and like the excursions we went on. And I just remember everything being like really, really cool. And I just remember having so much hope that a lot of our problems might be solvable. Then the last night rolls around. And it's almost like they can keep it together until like, they know that they have to go home and then they throw a tantrum. It's like the buildup of going back to reality and they have a tantrum. But I remember it started over something just really trivial. I think he was asking, or we were talking about religion and he was very anti-religion and I'm not anti-religion. I just don't always like the institution. So we were just kind of talking and he said something like, well, you don't mean to tell me you believe in God. And I said, well, yeah, I believe there's a God. I believe in God. I'm just not always sure that what they say about it is 100% like factual truth. That's all. But I do believe in God. And I just remember he got so mad at me, like called me stupid. I'm an idiot. Growing up in that, you know, country club lifestyle made you dumb, made you oblivious to the world, made you naive, all these things. Well, I knew that he wasn't like, a strict Christian or, but I didn't know he was that harsh about it. Like, my gosh. And um, yeah, I just remember us talking and me saying something like, it was a heated discussion about, you know, if God is real. And I just remember saying something, well, I don't know exactly 
what God is like, if it's a he, if it's a she, if it's multiple gods, I'm not sure, but I know I have to believe in something because I'm too afraid to believe in nothing. I said, so I kind of consider myself to be a believer in God, but maybe not in the same way as other people. And I just remember he was like, that is so fucking stupid. Like you are a sheep just like everybody else, like that type of thing. And of course that hurt my feelings, but then we would get into an argument because like I said, you know, before I would take it, but I wouldn't take it. Like I would fight back, but it always ended in the result of me apologizing and him making some excuse about you're on your period or you had too much to drink. Now I look back and see, well, it was actually, he was the main issue, but it was all these little factors that he would throw in to like throw me off to make me feel like it was me or something I was doing. The next day, I think we just flew back and just started our life. I was in my second year of grad school at that point or going into it my second year. And I was just in a lot more deeper. I was starting my thesis research, lots of late nights, writing, doing lab work, all sorts of things. And his temper just got worse. The busier I got and the more focused I had to get in grad school, the more angry he was with me. He, Chris didn't like me attending to anyone but him. I think anything that took away my attention from him was a threat. I mean, hello, like that first story where he yelled at me or screamed at me for talking to my girlfriends for too long. It started with a group of women. It started with a group of friends. It wasn't even a guy. So I think... He was so insecure that anyone was a threat. It didn't matter. And I do think that there's an aspect where certain men will say that they want a female who's independent and intelligent, driven, successful, but then they get her and it's intimidating and it brings out that fragility. His parents bought us a puppy And it was so cute. And I loved her so much. She was a little black lab and she was perfect. She was amazing. Cutest little puppy. But the first night we had her, she fell off the bed and broke her leg. And this this story is relevant, ladies. It is so relevant because watching who you're with interact with other situations and other people. So this is actually a very key story in this whole thing. So she breaks her leg. Um, as soon as we could, it was a weekend. As soon as we could, we took her to a vet. Um, it was the vet that had done like stuff for my cat and everything. So I had been a customer of hers for a while and we take her to the vet and she's like, well, I think it's broken. Uh, I don't know for sure. Cause I don't have an x-ray machine, but I think it's broken. And so I'm going to put a cast on it and all this stuff and then bring her back. You know, I can't remember how long. Well, unfortunately, the cast had been put on maybe a little too tight, so it started to rub and kind of cause a sore, and it started to look a little funky and smell a little stinky. So instead of take her back to the same vet and say, hey, this is a problem, Chris decided to take her to a different vet. The different vet said, we have x-rays, we can see, and it sure enough, it was broken, But they said the cast was for sure put on too tight. So they had to redo the cast and give her ointment and probably some antibiotics because of the sore. 
Well, Chris was pissed. He was so mad that this other vet had put the cast on too tight, caused a sore, caused us to take her to somewhere else, spend more money, which again, looking back, if we had taken her back to the same one, she probably would have seen us for free. He gets so mad at this whole situation that he calls that vet and he lies and he tells her that we took her to his hometown vet, which is not the one we took her to. It was a different one. So he's lying about this and he's like, we took her to my hometown vet and her leg is not broken because you didn't check it through an x-ray and you were wrong and you wrapped the cast so tight that she got an infection, which now we have to pay for medicine as well, which was partially true, but not totally. So she's like, I'm so sorry. You know, if there's anything I can do, I'll reimburse you for that visit. Just come by and pick up the check whenever you can. I don't know how, but I'm the guinea pig that gets to go pick up this check or pick up the money. And I don't remember why I was the chosen one, but I show up and she has this look on her face of just pure fury and disgust. And she's like, I'm not giving you a damn thing. And I, I'm like, I, and of course, like, I don't, I get so nervous. I, I'm like, what? Okay. I don't. And she's like, so-and-so's veterinary office called this morning to ask for like records or whatever for your dog. It was the vet that we had actually taken her to. And they shared with her that, yes, the dog's leg was broken. Yes, they confirmed that through an x-ray. And the, the scab or the sore was not infected. But they gave her something just in case to prevent it. So she knew the gig was up. She knew that he had called and he had lied and he was just trying to get money from her. I mean, I didn't know. It, I was like, I'm so sorry. I I'm so sorry. I apologize. And I, and I just ran in my car and left because she was like, you are not welcome here ever again. I was so embarrassed in the first place, you know, that, that he had even gone off his rocker like that. But then to be, and I guess I was complicit in the fact that I was showing up to get the money. But again, I was so still so under his kind of control a little bit that I just would do anything. But it's important because now you're watching this person, not only is he abusing you, but now you're watching him act like this to other people. Like it starts to kind of like roll out. I don't know about anybody else's experience, but I know in mine, when I first met him and for a good long while, I only saw him be erratic and hostile and aggressive with me. But that started to change. And all of a sudden, it's almost like the lid was off and he could not contain it anymore. I'd like to say thank you to Amanda for sharing part one of her story. Next episode, Amanda tells us how things quickly took a turn and how she secretly planned her escape. That's next time. Please check the show notes for available resources to help you or someone you know out of a toxic relationship. Six months of broken hearted, six more of what